0: That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, available on Amazon and everywhere. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez. And I am very happy to be joined by Mark Nelson from Radiant Energy Fund. Mark, thank you for joining me. You bet. Thanks for having me, Lou. And um, and Mark said that I look like a character from Dune. So if anybody out there knows the the actor who I might look like from uh, me, Javier no. Bardem is that is that Javier Bardem? Wow, okay, not bad. That's a that, that's a good one. He's in a um, I have two kids, and they've been watching a, a a movie called Lyle the Crocodile. It's like a kids movie, and it's awful. It's god awful. And uh, he plays like one of the uh, one of the main characters in it, like a um, a performer uh kind of running a scam sort of thing um it's a it's a it's a gigantic piece of shit movie um your, your kids if you have kids they'll love it for sure
1: he's a good honorable character in doom so we, you nice. should just accept that one
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna take that i'm gonna take that mark so um mark uh can you tell me a little bit about uh the radiant energy fund a little bit or all of it
1: Sure. So first of all, I have a consulting firm, Radiant Energy Group, and that's where I basically give people advice, um, both in the nonprofit world and people in the energy industry and occasionally some governments on how to thrive and survive the energy transition, so-called energy transition. So um, I have some s- skepticism. I'm sure we'll get into it, but uh, I think it is possible to do OK in the future of carbon constrained policy, but mostly not the ways the countries have been going about it. Um, Radiant Energy Fund was a project that I I got launched on with the help of Michael Schellenberger, who I believe you, you may know. And we had a problem back in 2016, which was that companies were closing their own nuclear plants. Governments were forcing nuclear plants to close, not just here in the US, but all around the world. And so I worked with Schellenberger at Environmental Progress to try to stop that. Radiant Energy Fund was an offshoot where environmental progress um, was continuing to expand its range of missions. And we wanted a focused vehicle to specifically solve this issue of stopping nuclear plant closures. It's a difficult thing because if you're a company that is closing its own nuclear plant, you don't want any help on nuclear. You're not looking for advice. You're not looking to try to get outside interference. And if Uh, you're a neighboring nuclear company with neighboring nuclear reactors and you're competing with them. Maybe you get more money for your electricity if your uh, neighbor closes his nuclear plant. So this was a very difficult problem without a natural constituency, except for all consumers, the world environment, you know, the future of humanity. So we, (laughs) we, I set radiant energy fund up as a, a charitably focused consultancy, shall I say, in trying to stop this nuclear closure issue that had, like I said, almost no uh, supporters in the business community.
0: Yeah, I think um, uh, Michael Schellenberger was, uh, he's the one who converted me uh, to uh, to go all in on nuclear. Um, and I think he has a really interesting story coming from a, a background of being an environmentalist and, um, you know, doing, you uh, like kind of missionary work in South America and, and whatnot, and looking around and saying like, okay, well, what is it that humanity needs in order to to thrive and survive and live wonderful lives? And that's energy. And it's like, okay, well, how the hell do we do? How do we get that? And what what's the you know the best way to to go about it? So, uh, in a way, you're kind of like uh, preaching to the choir. And I absolutely love following you on on Twitter because you you're you're constantly you know beating that drum of. Uh, especially with what's going on in the world today, with so many closures of nuclear power plants, saying like, "All right, Germany, look what's going on now." Uh, and can you can you talk about uh, maybe like Germany as like a specific uh, sort of uh, uh, example? Because uh, you know, years ago, it's like uh, everyone would point to them and say like, "Oh my God, look what look what Germany's doing!" Like they're they're building all this solar, they're building all of this uh, this wind. They're going to be in fantastic shape. Um, and it seems like that isn't the case. No,
1: right. So Germany, where to start? The industrial heartbeat of, of the European economy uh, is basically in Germany. Um, Germany is one of the founding countries of modern industry itself, of the chemicals industry, of the pharmaceuticals industry, of electronics, of heavy machinery. So much of the world, the value of the world's uh, Highest technology supply chains does run through Germany. And so uh, they need a lot of energy for that. Germany had a long-term plan to get their energy cheaply to compete with other industrial powers through gas pipelines, natural gas pipelines with Russia. As part of this policy, they claimed they didn't need their own energy. They could shut down their own power plants like their coal and their nuclear, but they chose them to shut down the nuclear first Now, this was especially unfortunate because the nuclear plants were extremely durable, extremely high-performing, extremely long-lived, super low cost, and not subjected to any of the carbon taxing that is, is ratcheting up in Europe and forcing power plants offline. So you had possibly the perfect solution in German hands, and they shut it off in favor of almost total dependency on pipeline gas, natural gas coming in from Russia. Now the Russian pipelines, they have closed or blown up or both, and they are gone. Meaning Germany needs to import gas from neighbors or ship it in to ports, but it doesn't have these ports. It needs to build them under emergency situations. But here's the problem though, just because in a few years, it will be able to import natural gas to replace the gas pipelines. doesn't mean they're going to get it at the same cost. And they will never get imported costs cheaper than the price of the countries sending the gas. Meaning we in America are going to be getting their industry instead of the industry building its next generation of factories or expanding capacity or even keeping capacity in Germany itself. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned the solar and wind. Well, the plan was to be almost totally dependent on Russian gas pipeline. And then you reduce the amount of gas you use briefly when the wind is favorable or the sun is favorable. That was the plan. But that only works if you have the gas pipeline. So instead what they're doing, they're running their coal plants like, like up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, but they have a plan they think to close the coal plants, but here's the problem. If you run your equipment up and down and up and down and you have unpredictable long-term uh, changes in weather trends, short-term changes in weather trends, it means your entire system is much more expensive. And they were only going to be able to moderate this cost with the pipeline gas coming from Russia and mass numbers of gas plants that they were building, sometimes literally in the employee parking lots of the <laughs> nuclear plants they were closing. They were putting the natural gas facilities because that's where the grid hookup, that's the critical spot on the grid where there's enough capacity to carry power out to the rest of Germany. And you can't, just because it's a good place for the grid lines, doesn't mean you can put that much wind and solar replacement power at that location. And here's another thing, Europe is smaller than continental US, spe- spreads across some of the same distance, but the, the climate is much more tightly correlated across Europe and mm-hmm. with a billion people sit- in Europe, than it is in, say, North America. There's more extremes of weather and it's more spatially uh, spread out in North America. That means in Europe, almost all the solar in Europe produces at pretty much the same time and stops producing at pretty much the same time. The wind storms that sweep across Europe or the calm bubbles of no wind pretty much hits all of Europe kind of the same way Meaning when your neighbor who has the same energy policy as you shuts off their power plants and expects to go to wind. Well, they're only able to send you extra wind power when you yourself have that wind. Mm. And then when your sunlight is good, you want to try to export to neighbors, but they've got good sunlight then. So they don't need it. And this has been understudied and under theorized. Not that you need theory for practice to work. It's just in the elite think tanks and the NGOs and the government uh the government brain trust this issue was not considered important because each country didn't have enough renewables to worry about it now that each country is getting enough renewables it's suddenly a crisis and they don't really have a solution in germany except yeah. for just trying to subsidize their electricity costs but it's a very difficult thing for them politically because they're the group in germany germany is the is the main power in Europe that's trying to get other countries not to subsidize because Germany expects to be able to undercut without subsidies, uh, most services and products that it specializes. in.
0: Yeah. This is the first time that I'm, that I've, I've ever heard it put that way about um, you know, sort of this uniform sort of, you know, weather that you would have in, um, in Europe. I, I guess, you know, I guess one of the big questions I have is like, how do you even get to a point where, Germany and other uh, other countries are saying it's a good idea that we shut down this nuclear power plant because, um, you know, you hear about, you know, obviously Chernobyl and Fukushima and when, and when a lot of people think of nuclear, they think of like, you know, these, these, you know, terrible like catastrophes. But as far as I know, it's never happened in Germany.
1: Oh, and-, and it's, and it's worse than that. It's worse than that, Lou. Not only did it never happen in Germany, but they had a multi hundred thousand person strong anti-nuclear movement before three mile Island had a meltdown.
0: Even before, even before that, even before.
1: So some context here about two weeks ago, I was visiting a nuclear plant in Northern Germany, Uh, an extraordinary facility, extraordinary site, unbelievably beautiful site, blending both, both nature and human activity. So in this case, it's a Brockdorf nuclear plant, which is along the mouth of the Elbe River, north of Hamburg, Germany. So this is a super wide, slow moving river that's meeting the ocean. And the nuclear plant is up near a dike where there's a there's a biking trail past it. Sheep literally graze within a few meters of the plant property up to the edge of the plant property, actually. hmm. And you can approach the plant within, I don't know, um, the, the reactor building is practically towering over you. The reactor building, not the cooling towers. There aren't any cooling towers. So this is a super tiny site that made enough electricity for several million people continuously for decades. And it was doing it for dirt cheap. And they built it in five years flat.
0: Five years that that's, From unreal. Dirt yeah, the that, that's to, unreal yeah that's uh, uh, unreal to commercial
1: activity meaning they had almost everything visible built within say three three and a half years they had testing started within about four years and they were in full commercial operation in five years hmm. and for five years previous to that they just sat there with a hole in the ground why because of the protest movement against nuclear and this was before chernobyl it was uh, it was the years just before and just after um, Three Mile Island meltdown, which injured no one. So you had a movement that misinterpreted, uh, charitably, used meltdowns that had nothing to do with Germany and nothing to do with German reactors. They used those meltdowns for political goals that it had been preset, predecided before nuclear was proven to be dangerous. And, uh, and then it's not it's not dangerous, but they interpreted the meltdowns that had nothing to do with Germany as proof that meltdowns would happen in Germany. Wow. So you this doesn't even answer your question. Now you should ask, why, why then? Why did they yeah. make a super strong, super active citizens movement against nuclear power before meltdowns
0: had happened? Uh, yes. I'd like to ask that question. Uh, All right. I mean, you you good, worded it very good well. Question, Lou.
1: Very <laughs> clever question. Let me just go ahead and answer that. For
0: it's you. a gotcha. It's a gotcha question. I'm going to, yes. You know, so you several
1: different movements sort of combined. Here's one, the idea that humans are a cancer on earth. Right. Prosperity was expanding around the world and you had young disaffected people that said, no, prosperity is the problem. Humans are the problem. Now it takes a certain level of, uh, family well-being and wealth to, to, to go and say that wealth is the problem, because if you don't have wealth, you rarely think that uh, having more is, is the problem. In some cases, you might think others shouldn't have too much, and then you want some. But, there, but there's a lot of the Western austerity movement, eco-austerity, anti-wealth, degrowth movement that just comes out of people wealthy enough to have completely arbitrary goals. And as long as we don't succeed in becoming less wealthy, they'll always be able to sit there with their wealth and say, see, I don't like this wealth. I don't like it. I don't want it. We don't, we shouldn't have it. Now, why would they say wealth is bad? Well, one, there's a sort of political and aesthetic view of I don't like powerful people or I don't like those powerful people. I don't like our powerful people. Okay. Here's another one. You think that there's no way to have a good uh, high energy life without destroying the earth long-term. Mm -hmm. which may be true with fossil fuels, but a lot of the eco austerity people championed fossil fuels over nuclear. So even that, that's not quite enough either. You need something beyond. So here it is. The combination of eco austerity with anti nuclear weapons activities or, or, nuclear weapons fear. That was the, that was the way that you had people who say we should get by on less claiming that fossil fuels were better than nuclear, even though nuclear uses less of everything while providing more energy. So what is this nuclear bomb fear? Now, this is where we get to specifically German issues. I don't really buy the argument that people say of, oh, dark German romanticism. Sure, but dark German romanticism could have been used in favor of nuclear energy. These sort of idealistic bliss of saying, let us combine with the nature, with the soil, with the earth and make, well, nuclear is a perfect way to do that. Nuclear, you get a little bit of special dirt. You put the special dirt in a magic little machine crafted out of more magic metal from the earth and then you turn it on and suddenly everything glows and you use up almost no water you use almost no land you don't put out emissions your waste is a tiny bit of special enriched earth you might say and you can just put it back in the earth so in if you want to say german mysticism and romanticism did this no it could, and and I think that German romanticism will be used once Germany embraces nuclear, they'll reinterpret why they love nuclear and they'll say it in a German way. No, the problem was a uniquely German situation that Germany started and then lost World War II. Germany as a nation was split down the center. They were blamed for everything. And they knew that most of the blame was to be to actually on them. They knew they did great crimes. And then they were prevented from having a proper army, prevented from defending themselves, split in half with a, with a wall defended by guns straight through the center. Germany was ripped apart. OK. And then the eyes of the world, the bombs of the world, the targeting systems of the world, the spies of the world descended on Germany as the central point of friction. It's like Earth's crust slipping by on a fault line. They were the, the political San Andreas fault, right, of, of the Cold War, meaning that they would die first. In their, in their view, they would die first if any conflict started. There was a moment at which the leader of West Germany told American presidents, if there's a battle at Checkpoint Charlie, if guns start firing here, At Checkpoint Charlie in West Berlin, we have no way to defend Berlin. You'd better start with nukes. That was the German leader saying that to NATO, to American presidents. Wow. So in that environment where there's nothing you can really do about it, what do you do about it? You lash out at anything you see connected with nuclear technology, anything. And the nuclear power plants were there for the taking in a way that the bombs weren't. Couldn't do anything about the bombs, really, Lou. But you could do something about the nuclear plants. You could march. You could demonstrate. You could shut them down. And that's where the German anti-nuclear movement got much of its energy. And then, of course, the last tier, which is whose interest is it to see a weakened, uh, rotting Germany? And that's, of course, like Russia. So Russia would have the Soviet Union would have always been a very big supporter of west not east west german anti-nuclear stances.
0: Mm. Yeah. And what's wild too, what's wild too is like while this is all going on, you know, the amount of nuclear power plants in like France and Sweden, you know, in like is that at the same time or is that like Yes, years, so there years was later. a
1: very there was a very strong anti-nuclear movement. In those places, well, not so. Movements are a weird thing to talk about in Switzerland because they just they just have a different politics. Uh, mm-hmm. the, their politics of localism are very interesting. Let's talk about France. Switzerland's still about 35% nuclear, so that's pretty good. But they, they've gone a kind of back and forth pro and anti-nuclear. France, though, was really intensely anti-nuclear, even as the world's nuclear champion. Um, and so for I uh, pretty much the last decade, they've been passing... Uh, and implementing anti-nuclear policies that have helped lead to the collapse of the function of their nuclear fleet. They've only just this year had a big inquisition in, in their parliament where they hold up Nicolas Sarkozy and the past energy ministers, and they were like, how did you let this happen? Why did you do this? Why did you destroy our nuclear fleet right when we needed it most? So only now has France started to turn the edge, even like Macron. Is he pro or anti-nuclear? He was part of a clique of pretty much anti-nuclear leaders. Um, it was he, as an election promise, destroyed one of his own nuclear plants in France as an election to just because not for any reason, just because he said he would. And that was right before the start of the energy crisis. So do I don't lionize France here. They are next. Okay. They are only now beginning to pull their head out and, and start to get better.
0: I'm just imagining him, you know, for like a PR stunt, like being in like a gigantic hazmat suit and like walking into the, you know, the core and like, you know, and saying we have down.
1: shut this down. I did what I said I was going to do.
0: Right. Well, well, how are, you know, when it, when it comes to just, you know, the realities on the ground, as far as, you know, if you're a, you know, a person living in Europe, if you're living in one of these countries, I mean, what is your, what's your electric bill look like? Cause I, I think, um, I, I think you shared something, uh, might have been like like uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago about, I don't know if it was Finland, where it's like they were paying like negative dollars or something. Careful, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. Whenever let me, the electricity
1: it. price on the electricity exchanges goes negative, it makes a news story and people spin it however they want. Mm-hmm. The truth is that you can't get that as a household consumer. That represents a dangerous surplus that has to be disposed of. Somebody is being forced to pay for that, and that shows up also as higher bills, and you have to look at the average, not just the negative hours, but the positive hours, because the average ends up being what is put onto your bill. The negative hours have to be paid for by somebody. Mm-hmm. That's so, the system saying, we please we beg you, break your contracts to supply power and turn down, or we 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 beg you, use more electricity now even though we're going to charge you for the grid usage during that period. Just not the energy, but the grid. So this whole electricity price thing was it, it started as a way to help understand whether there was too much or too little electricity generation then it got completely out of hand because it's not just the generation that makes electricity it's the lines and wires it's the planning it's the insurance it's the maintenance it's all this stuff that is not represented by the short-term electricity price but the attempt to make a short-term electricity price is visible to everybody and then to say this is what we worship this is what we work on it's not working out well at all and when it goes negative it's easy to misunderstand Look, Germany has negative and positive prices that go like crazy from negative hundreds to positive thousands. It's just, it's insane. You can't do any long-term planning. And unless you know what you're looking at with those prices, it's very difficult to interpret them. Let me give you a worked example. In France, over the last few years, regularly, because of the nuclear shortages and, and Germany's large fleet of coal plants, regularly, France had higher prices on these market auctions higher momentary prices than Germany did. If you look at the electricity bills in France and Germany, to get back to the way you asked this question, the German electricity bills are way higher, certainly per unit of electricity used, almost, almost double. Why? Because very little of the price of a French electricity bill reflects that market price because of most of the capacity of the nuclear plants locked up under ultra-low-cost, long-term fixed-rate contracts. Only a little bit of electricity is traded in France at that crazy swinging price. Whereas in Germany, much more of the electricity price ends up onto your electricity bill. And that negative, that little negative spikes are not made up for by the giant positive spikes when there isn't enough. Mm. Sorry. And this is in general why it's so dangerous when energy ministries and governments are stocked with ideologues because you can misinterpret electricity any way you want until it breaks. I
0: am mm-hmm. in, a, yeah, I'm in, I'm in New Jersey. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in a house and I used to live in Brooklyn in an apartment and something that, that I'm, you know, I guess thankful for is that when I look at my monthly electric bill, like sometimes it's lower than what I was paying for in my apartment in Brooklyn. And I have a a lot more square foot. Why?
1: A- because, Ill- because New Jersey kept almost all its nuclear plants and, and New York got rid of most of it. Most of its downstate power.
0: It, is is that it? Wow. Yes. Yeah.
1: So New York went from New York should have been like 50, 50 to 60%, uh, maybe 50% nuclear electricity, 60% depending on how many reactors they might've built at Ravenswood plant instead in Queens. It's the big one across the river. They were honestly thinking about nuclear there. And they were proposing it. Instead, they built fossil fuels and they have just been putting particles in the air for, you know, 50 years instead. So then about 25 percent of New York's electricity should still be coming from Indian Point. In fact, they should have upgraded those to be about 30 percent. Then Shoreham nuclear plant should have had at least 10, maybe bigger percent of the power going into New York City. Um, instead, that's just all fossil fuels. Not that there's. And, and again, I'm not trying to demonize fossil fuels, but the people who do demonize fossil fuels often are ones pushing policies that leave them dependent on fossil fuels that they then don't allow to be produced locally. So all of this has to come in through constrained pipelines, constrained power grids, which itself either needs to be upgraded or you need to you need to ration it using prices. And that's effectively what New York does. In New New Jersey, Mm -hmm. almost half your electricity is nuclear. Did you know
0: this? I, I didn't know that. I, I have a, it's not
1: just that it's half as electricity from nuclear. It's nuclear that had to be saved when market prices were low using schemes that lower the price when market prices are high. In other words, your nuclear is subsidizing the rest of your electricity bill and keeping it lower.
0: Yeah. I have a neighbor um, who works in, in that field and he was like, he's like, Oh yeah, we could, he's like, it could be even lower. You know, there are things we could do with, you know, efficiency and stuff that they're technically not allowed to do. You know, New
1: Jersey, New Jersey citizens could band together and get a citizen's contract for long term power supply from your nuclear plants to ensure a stable amount of power for a long, long, long period. That would that would lower costs, too. That's the equivalent of the way other countries effectively manage their nuclear very long term, flat or low rate contracts with the nuclear plants, with the nuclear plants. What do they get? a knowledge that they're going to get stable money flow in so they can do their upgrades, they can hire and retain workers over long periods of time, then they don't need the crazy fluctuating market. They don't want to gamble like a casino. Mm -hmm. Gambling like a casino is good for traders, market makers, for speculators. It's good for some of the renewables people, but even then renewables people like the long-term contracts that of course misrepresent the stability of their energy output, but that's the problem for the People crazy enough to buy those contracts, right? Um, yeah, I, I we could go on forever about the complexities of electricity. Let me just land with this. Nuclear, as you're seeing with your bill in New Jersey, does an incredible job at exactly what you need. Lots of clean energy at stable prices over long periods of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, when um, I, I, I made a joke saying that uh, uh, basically closing like Indian Point in New York was was way worse than closing CBGBs. You know, it's like everyone thinks like, oh man, CBGB, that was, you know, that was a place, you know, that was New York. And it's like, oh no, you, New York fucked itself and by uh, by doing that.
1: New York, it's I, when I think about New York, it blows my mind. I talk to people in New York who say, no, it's okay, we're going to get Quebec Hydro. Okay, first of all, one, you don't have it. Two, Quebec retains the right to shut off your power if they need it more. Wow. Three Quebec sold everybody power, and they go through droughts.
0: i never heard about Quebec uh, Quebec Hydro, and I, and I expect well, now now with uh, the Canadian wildfires, which I blame for my voice sounding this way. In any future health complications, hopefully, I can sue sue Canada somehow. Um, yeah, I mean that's it. I, uh, the first time I'm I'm hearing about about that. That's wild. And in, um, uh, Canada is another, was it, uh, is it Ontario that also has like a pretty healthy, um, nuclear,
1: uh, Yes, sometime? but just like New Jersey where there was a really intense battle that was fought where most people never even saw it. And a bunch of us activists were, <laughs> I mean, I say i more activists back in, uh, 2016. Now I'm, I'm honestly a bit more, I'm more of a professional. doesn't mean I'm a mercenary, but you know, I'm more of a professional. It was a very lonely bit of activism back in 2016, 17, and 18 to try to convince New Jersey politicians and leaders that they needed to support and save their nuclear plants. You still lost one. Your power Mm -hmm. bill would be even lower now, but you lost a nuclear plant.
0: Yeah. And and it's just something about- For nothing. For nothing.
1: For no purpose. You just lost it when prices were momentarily low, and then they went back up, and then you don't have it. That's an extremely stupid way to manage your infrastructure.
0: Uh, yeah and, and also it, to- in
1: Ontario, same thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the point there I was trying to make, like yep. New Jersey, Ontario had the same thing. They were gonna destroy a bunch of their nuclear fleet, turn it off, waste it, just say duck okay, it basically and and, be, and go for yellow energy, inshallah power shall we say? And (laughs) so instead, there was a big movement to save nuclear plants. There was a sudden realization among leaders that they had to answer to young people who knew their names and knew that they were the ones letting their nuclear plants die. The utilities had to bend to the power of public. The public demanded saving nuclear plants that the utilities weren't even going to save. It was Mm -hmm. pathetic. It was really pathetic. Uh, And that movement has helped lead to the possibility that we're going to save one of the main nuclear plants that powers Toronto right there next to Toronto. They're just going to shut the whole thing off.
0: That's oh man. It's, it's so wild. Cause you know, I I don't think enough people really think about just how important and necessary, you know, reliable energy is. It works too well. Can you blame them? It
1: works too well. And there's a lot of distractions.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think, and and you know, something too that that you know really turned me on to to nuclear is, you know, so many people are you know very concerned about climate change, in particular, carbon emissions, and here you have a technology, like you said, very low emissions. I mean, I guess, well, where most of the emissions come from in the actual building of the plant, and then uh, and then you're kind of good after that.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of bullshit studies, people trot out when they're trying to show that nuclear isn't carbon free. Most of those studies get much of the carbon from old ways of making the nuclear fuel, either mining that was much more inefficient or um, that combined with enrichment. That was way more inefficient where, for example, they, they assume that you're powering the mining and powering the enrichment powering the other stages with fossil fuels to argue against nuclear in favor of fossil fuels for emission reasons. It's, it's, it's completely insane, but they're just like the Germans protesting. The point is not anything you can solve with saying that nuclear is good. They don't like that nuclear is good. They don't like that nuclear works. They don't like that nuclear is efficient and low carbon. So they come up with lies to try to convince you that it's bad. And you're, you can't win just by saying that's not true. Because they, you know, it, in fact, nuclear is better. They don't want to see that nuclear is better. They don't want to know. Fortunately, the vast majority of the public does want to know, does want to see, does want to hear. And it's just the nuclear industry that's done a trash job of telling them.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to think like, you know, other than like you and like I said, like Schellenberger, he's the one who, you know, really got me you know, into this. And then I, I guess most recently, um, Oliver Stone has made a documentary. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I'm like, sure. yeah, like, where are the, you know, where are the, the influencers, you know, talking about how great this friggin' technology is. It, it's um, coming. It's yeah. on its
1: way. Um, I think the nuclear industry has been very slow to wake up to how popular they can be. Yeah. Um, let me give you, let me give you a moment that's helped change that. The, uh, the new Miss America, uh, Grace Stonkate from uh, Wisconsin was a university of Wisconsin, nuclear engineering grad
0: oh, a student
1: wow. actually, which now it might've been a liability. Now it's seen as, Oh my God, that is so incredibly interesting. That is so impressive. That's dangerous. Even can you tell us a little bit about this? She's glowing.
0: Trinity. She's glowing on stage literally. Yeah.
1: So that they might've, they, there might've been those references and now it's more like you can say that and people know you aren't anti-nuclear. You actually like the idea. Well, she wins that in a very short period of time. She's being, uh, you know, the nuclear companies are are delighted to fly her in to visit and talk to their leaders. It's still it's still inwards facing a lot of these nuclear operating utilities are like their own empires where almost all the politics and conversation, everything is just an internal world to its own self, where the leaders have almost every bit of their mind. Dominated by internal situations, internal politics, and they don't wake up to what they could be doing on nuclear, what they need to do to sell nuclear until they have a catastrophe. So the public only hears from them or sees them during catastrophes, basically. Right.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. um, HBO had a series. I I thought it was great. Chernobyl. I know that there's a lot of bullshit in it, but as far as like a well-made, you know, drama, it was was very well done. Um, I've known. I've known
1: young people. that have gotten into nuclear because they became fascinated by that show. They weren't scared by the body horror and the radiation bullshit and stuff like that. Um, Now I think that that show could have made a few simple changes that would have made me like it better. One, uh, they could have noted that the nuclear plant kept operating for 14 years. (laughs) Oh,
0: I know. Yeah, no, no clue. Wouldn't that have been a helpful
1: thing to know? Like when you're trying to say how bad was the disaster, the, the reactor buildings, like, you know, the one that blew up, Yeah. That shared buildings with a reactor that kept operating almost continuously for 14 more years. Wow. Making electricity. Mm -hmm. So that might have been a helpful thing to note. The other thing they might have made a bigger point about is that that whole thing about, oh, we have to drain the water. It'll blow up, blah, blah, blah. They could have noted that that was a mistake. Like they didn't actually, it would have been fine. So that would have been a big thing because that was like one of their central points about how dangerous nuclear can be. It could blow up and destroy Europe or whatever. That was false. That was a lie. So that might have been a good thing to note to people, although they might have thought some people may have thought at the time and we took some dramatic license. Just note that the most dangerous thing we talked about wasn't actually true. But hmm. that's the irony about a show that put itself as against lies that they didn't right. note that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, oh, I think now we have. um what what i what I think one of the one of the really positive things about the culture that we have now and you know thanks to the internet there's a lot of people who uh i i know me for example um if if I hear a statement I'm like, oh, that's interesting, let me put that statement into Google and put debunk afterwards and just see what and just see what happens and I think that's something that's happening with nuclear as well. It's sort of like here you know here are the the top five reasons why nuclear is a bad idea and then you know, then you're directed to other people who are like, hold on a second, this is actually what we should be looking at. And this is why this stuff doesn't, uh, doesn't make sense. So I think I'm I'm pretty hopeful for the future of, of nuclear in that, in that respect. I think there are a lot of people who are willing to, um, you know, do the, you know, quote unquote, their own research and, uh, you know, find out what's actually, what, what actually is happening.
1: But here, I hear you at the same time, what I found is the point at which somebody is even willing to put debunk in Google, or they're will, willing to even look. The hard part of the battle has been won already. Mm. So there's a, there's these conversion moments that are very difficult to get to, and you only need one per person per life, right? You only need one per person per life, but getting those is hard. One of the reasons I I highlighted this issue with Chernobyl continuing to operate, I found it to be the single most powerful moment. Uh, maybe inducer of of, of doubts in mm-hmm. that I've ever used. Why? Because if Chernobyl is the worst ever, and you bring it up to somebody, and the correct the first thing they say is no, that doesn't count. Because instead, I'm saying yeah, pile it on. Tell me how horrible Chernobyl was. The plant kept operating for 14 years, making electricity, and it and it was Ukraine that shut down their own plant only when they got a cash payout from Europe to open another one. So you're going to tell me that you know something about Chernobyl that Ukrainians don't know. That's interesting. Tell me more. And instead of trying to run away from Chernobyl, you embrace it. Here's another one. Did you know that that reactor type is still in operation today?
0: I, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the third biggest metropolitan area in continental Europe gets heat and power from, from there. That wow. St. Petersburg, Russia has a has a RBMK plant powering it.
0: And, and, you know, so what are the you know, what are the new the newer plants looking like? Because I because I think that that's something, too. You know, people have, you know, uh, wrongly they think that, you know, uh, these are the, the plants that were in the Soviet Union. Those are the ones that, that fuck up and blow up. They're no longer being used. These are all, you know, what people think.
1: No, no, hold up. The RBMK, they fixed the thing that made it blow up and they wrote into the rule book, you can't blow it up anymore. So they (laughs) don't do
0: that. (laughs) They don't do that anymore.
1: No, I'm not just being cute, Lou. Here's the thing. I've met a lot of pro-nuclear people who think that if you explain that there are new reactor types being invented, that that converts people. And I push back on them because that is not my experience. At the point somebody's willing to consider new reactors, They're willing to consider different reactors. They're already, that you've already made it through the hard part of them willing to consider nuclear. Mm -hmm. Think of what I was saying about the origin of the German anti-nuclear movement. Do you think that saying, no, there is new nuclear technology sounds good to people who are against all things nuclear? Do you think saying, no, we can get more energy from nuclear is good to people who say humans are the disease, energy is the problem?
0: Right. Right.
1: No, instead, the advanced nuclear topic converts people who were waiting to be converted by any pro-nuclear argument that that was novel or that came to them. Yeah. So I don't emphasize the new reactors because they're going to be okay. They're going to be cool. Some are going to be little lab experiments and some are going to make successful companies. Almost none will change your electricity bill much up or down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you're not satisfied with... with um, nuclear existing, you're not going to be more satisfied by advanced nuclear. In fact, the better advanced nuclear is, the more somebody who's opposed to nuclear for the reasons we talked about would be opposed to it.
0: Yeah, I I was, you know, maybe we could uh, kind of close on this, but I'm thinking about the, uh, you know, just stop oil uh, activists or the extinction rebellion activists. I'm doubtful that any of them are pro-nuclear like even though
1: it It depends British people in general are pretty pro pro nuclear and a lot of Brits calmly support uh, those movements, even though they don't give money and they don't want them to block their way to work. They, they feel a need to be somebody out there to do something, to change things. They're like, Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of, a lot of extinction rebellion people are going to be open to nuclear. And some nuclear advocates have come out of being in extinction rebellion. And in fact, I, I met a young Extinction Rebellion or uh, Fridays for Future slash Extinction Rebellion person on the streets of Berlin, Germany, uh, who admitted that she was actually okay with nuclear because it's low carbon. But she wasn't sure if the other people in her movement would be willing to Mm -hmm. embrace it. Yeah. And she was willing to tell this to a random American stranger, which I thought was interesting. But maybe she was willing to say it to a stranger and to an American,
0: not to another German. Mm hmm. When I was in, when I I visited Berlin and um, my, uh, my host there, who's an American that I knew um, we, we were like going out to, you know, bars and cafes and, and, and I was uh, single at the time and, you know, think like, oh, well, you know, uh, th- this would be cool, you know, try to, you know, hit on some, uh, some uh, German chicks. And she was like, oh no, no, they don't, they don't do that here. Like they don't, you don't just like go up and talk to strangers. I'm like, really? No. I don't know if, I don't know if she was just saying, Lou, you shouldn't. Go and talk to strangers in Berlin. It yeah, it's more Like, that, it's like that
1: meme: What counts as sexual harassment? If Lou does it, yeah, that's definitely
0: straight yeah. to jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're Javier Bardem, you could do it. If you're a Harvey, Javier Bardem lookalike, then you're going to be uh, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but uh, I, Mark, I, I found got- it possible to have
1: very frank, uh, bordering on rude conversations with Germans, and I found Germans are okay with that. I found you can use a lot rougher language with Germans than you can with other places, and you can still keep having a calm conversation there are some places where to themselves they'll say oh our our country's a shithole but if an outsider said it it's it's a knife and dead it you're going to fight to the death for germany it's like germans are very they're very proud of what they do right and well and they're not ashamed to admit it and then if they're doing something they think is bad they will say yes this is bad and they are they it's like they have less shame and so you have to ratchet up the the tone and the rhetoric a little bit to get to the right levels of shame within bounds of propriety. Uh, So I I don't know. I think that I've had an amazing experience working with Germans and talking with Germans. I'm going to be there for the entire month of July. My wife's an opera singer and she's going for opera. So I can justify really concentrating on this Germany problem. Cause that's, as I point out to Germans and as many Germans already know, it's one of the only countries on earth actively moving away from nuclear almost everybody else is moving towards it so yeah certainly their neighbors all around germany are starting to explore nuclear if they don't have it build nuclear if they don't have it and have already explored it or keep nuclear if they were thinking of getting rid of it and expanding nuclear if they weren't going to get rid of it and that's happening at the borders of germany they feel surrounded which and again if we're saying a rough german joke they should know is it they should be uh comfortable. They should be experienced with what it feels like to be surrounded by people they pissed off.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Norm Macdonald has a, a great bit about, uh, you know, keeping an eye on Germany because uh, they went to war with the world two times before. So just always keep an eye on. Them. Um, I, I, I have
1: a lot of yeah. faith in what the Germans can do when marching in the right direction and a lot of fear about what they
0: do when marching in the wrong
1: direction. Can I just put it that way?
0: yeah i think that's a great way to put it and uh a great way to uh end the uh the conversation or the end of the beginning of this conversation because i hope this gets a lot more people talking about nuclear and and following your work because i think i think you do a really excellent job um you know putting the information out there and and doing it in a way that is uh digestible and also uh you know to the point and i think uh and i think that's that's really important and um so people can check out. It's a radiant energy group. Is that the, uh, yep. um, they can check you out there. We, we have, have
1: several public facing reports that we've made available on our website. And then you can find my tweets at energy banks. That's energy B a N T S. Awesome.